You're listening to a resource from Alpine Bible Church. Alpine Bible Church exists to know Christ Jesus together and to make Him known. We are located in Sugar Creek, Ohio. For more information, visit our website at alpinebible.org. May Jesus be glorified in your life. All right, I'm back. I'm going to start over again. Chapter 2, verse 1. For all of you watching on TV, we're in Colossians chapter 2. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in the faith, as you have been taught, and abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men and according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. We uh, are reminded here in this text as Paul is not with the Colossians. He's writing a letter. He's never met them personally. He longs to be with them, but he can't do that. But then he reminds them, if you could see me face to face, this is what I'm thinking about you in verse 2, that your hearts would be encouraged uh, being knit together in love. These are uh, wonderful mandates for all of us even here this morning because it's a letter 
are written in a, a very living way to us today, that we would be encouraged today in our hearts as believers in Christ. He says, being knit together in love and that we would attain to all the riches of the full assurance, he says, of understanding uh, to the knowledge of the mystery of God. And then he adds this little uh, doctrinal statement, both of the Father and of Christ, reminding us that uh, God is also the Father and the Son. And uh, later on, we would know that's also the Holy Spirit. But here he's putting emphasis on the fact that Jesus Christ is God in that little statement, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so as he says this to them, that's his hope that they would be in search of discovering this truth for themselves and who Jesus Christ is and God the Father. We come to verse 4, which is really our text starting today. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Paul was concerned. Now these are newer believers. Uh, these folks have uh, found Christ through the testimony of others, but there's been really no uh, strong uh, appointed leadership aside from one named Epaphras, uh, and uh, he's only been assigned from Paul to go back and encourage and lead. Uh, so he's kind of taking charge here. But in the text, as Paul's writing, he's really writing to them as their pastor, though he's not there. He's simply saying that uh, this is a problem, uh, that some are going to try to come in and deceive you. Uh, and so they are obviously, as new believers, susceptible uh, to uh, the strong influence that others might bring. These were uh, those who were trying to mislead the church, and that's what Paul is concerned about. Uh, the fact is they were trying to say there was more to know about the Christian faith than what you've learned from an apostle uh, like Paul. And so uh, we don't have that in this text, but that's what's happening behind the scene. So in essence, they would have been confronted with teaching that says things like Jesus was not God. That's one of the first primary things you uh, hear from cults and from those who uh, want to uh, strip away the faith of the gospel. So Jesus could not, they would say, by himself, save or sanctify anyone. Uh, he needed more than himself. Salvation, according to these other teachers then, required more than just belief in Jesus. So Paul knew that these deceivers would use persuasive rhetoric. Uh, they would uh, uh, give sound bites that uh, sound intellectual. Uh, they would be leading into uh, what they call deeper truths that would require uh, an invitation to various other channels. If you want to know God, then there's other things besides this thing called the gospel. There's works that have to be done. There's rituals that have to be made. There's incantations that have to be said. Uh, there's this long list of sacrifices that have to be made and many offerings that have to be made and so on. And all these things are sort of uh, placed in a soup that they would have to uh, learn and, and incorporate in order for them to know these deeper truths. So verse 5 is written by Paul, For though I am absent in the flesh, he says, yet I am with you in spirit. And uh, he uses the uh, little word rejoicing after that. Uh, to see uh, their good order and their steadfastness of their faith in Christ. Interesting uh, uh, words there that I want to sort of highlight for a moment, because when he says uh, that he's with them in spirit, that's something that we uh, as Christians have access to that the world does not understand, would never understand this. 
uh, even uh, unsafe friends of mine uh, might have the ability to uh, sort of think what someone else is thinking. If you spend a lot of time with somebody, you kind of know ahead of time what, how they think about certain things, and you can anticipate what they might say in a certain situation. But what Paul's talking about is that he's with them in spirit and in a divine connection that is very unique to Christianity. As God works in our lives, you've perhaps done this. It's happened to me. You're somewhere and you meet a stranger. Maybe you're in an airplane or you're uh, waiting in a station somewhere or whatever. But you meet somebody and something inside of you just tells you that's a brother or sister in Christ. Uh, You can't always decide what it is. You just know Somehow there's something that's communicating that to you. And eventually, perhaps in a conversation, you'll find out, yes, they do go to church somewhere. Yes, they have uh, a belief in Christ. And you just realize that that connection was so unique. And that's something that we have. When Paul says this, it's it's even deeper than that. Uh, He's never met them, yet he's rejoicing in what he sees in their life. He sees good order, steadfastness. He's impressed by these things. And, and that's an amazing thing. Uh, you know, when I hear of uh, fellow believers that I've met in my past, other churches that I've pastored in, uh, people I've known even from my childhood growing up, some of my friends in school, uh, the ones who actually claim to be Christians, and some of them you meet now in this day and they're still following Christ. That is such a huge blessing, isn't it? When you meet someone that you know from the past and they're still following Christ, they're still faithful. On the other hand, it's very hurtful when you bump into someone you've known in your past who claimed Christ, maybe even looked up to him, and you find out that they're not following him. And that's heartbreaking, isn't it? If it's family or friends, it's it's something that can really affect you. And so obviously that's important. So when Paul says this, he's it's a it's a phrase of endearment when he says this in verse five. Yet I am with you in spirit. And then he says, I'm rejoicing uh, to see their good order and the steadfastness of their faith. Uh, and so that's a very important phrase that uh, there's three things he's saying there are two things very important here, especially he says good order. Uh, that's causing him to rejoice. They're good order. That word order is a military term, which I'm familiar with. But in the Greek, it's taxis, not taxes, taxis, T-A-X-I-S. It's a, it's a very uh, uh, important word in, in, a, in a military sense. It has to do with regular arrangement or formation. Uh, when I was in the military, a drill sergeant would yell, fall in. And when that would happen, uh, you would form a line automatically. You just learn to do that from day one. Uh, once you fall in a straight line, then he would say, dress right, dress. And then you would, your arm would go up st- stiff and then everybody would uh, step to the shoulder Uh, to the shoulder to to finger width, and so you're all spaced apart. And then you'd stay in that position until he'd say, ready, front. Then you come back down to attention. And you would just look sharp, and you're all well spaced out. And there's something about that organization that is being drawn upon here by Paul. Uh, He wants uh, these men, uh, this church, to understand that he recognizes that they are uh, from a fixed rank or they have things in order such that they, in a military sense, their lines are unbroken. That's really what he's saying. He's trying to say to them that their discipline has made them ready for the attack of the enemy. So that word good order is 
is an important word, especially if you understand what Paul's saying from a military sense. Then he uses the word steadfastness. They have a steadfastness of faith. And that word is stereoma. It means that they are uh, 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 stable. They're, they have a stability about them so that together as a, as a body in Christ, they are an immovable force. I, I want us to just understand today that this is something so important for Alpine in the day that we live in. When Paul says this, he sees that in them. But I guess my question is going to be, is that something that is seen in us? Does someone see Alpine Bible Church as that which is in good order? That is that they are uh, of a formation and a character that is is ready Uh, for what comes? Uh, Is there a steadfastness of faith among believers that together they are an unmovable force? Because in the day that we live, that's going to be tested. Churches are being tested all over the place. All we need is one Sunday for someone to come in here and challenge some of the things that we teach. And I'm telling you, that day is coming fast. It's happening to churches all around us. And so it's important that we understand this. Paul's concerned about this young church, that they would have this in place. When he uh, uh, says this phrase, to be with them in spirit, he's talking about this connection that's at a very deep level. He's talking about... uh, Uh, the fact that he's rejoicing, but he's also in prayer for them. He says that often in in the context of what he writes, that he's always praying for those that he's not with. He's praying with others for others he's not with. And he's always thinking of them. Last Wednesday night, uh, the few of us who were here, uh, we uh, were going to have our normal study, but, and I was ready, but the Lord just told me not to bother with that. I just felt like we weren't ready for that. We just needed to pray. So we spent uh, a long time last Wednesday in prayer. And we prayed for many of you. And we prayed for the other church that's left us, Reformed Bible Church, who are now today starting their own thing. Uh, We prayed for our missionaries. We prayed for people who are sick in our midst. And uh, it it was a wonderful, refreshing night last week. For those of you who are with me, I, you, I hope you felt that way. I went home thankful for the evening. But what I went home mostly thankful for was the fellowship of the Spirit that you have with people who are praying with you for others. There's something powerful about that. And maybe if you've not been on a Wednesday night in a long time to pray with fellow saints, you've forgotten what it's like. Maybe you came from another church where One person prayed for an hour and the rest of you are like, okay, that was nice. Uh, That sometimes happens, but we try not to let that happen. Um, uh, Maybe that's that's what the case was. I I was drugged to church every Wednesday night. I've told you that. I grew up in a a ministry family, so I had to be there. And I was as disruptive a brat as could be possible to take to church uh, because we didn't have youth ministry. We were stuck all together. And I didn't like Anna Holt who prayed for an hour. Uh, about everything and no one else got a chance to pray because the time was gone. Uh, Most of us probably fell asleep somewhere in that prayer. But uh, her heart was in the right place. Uh, But I I just want to remind us that there's something about being together. So I'm putting a challenge out to you that being together on a Wednesday night to pray is just about one of the most precious things we do. And I'll leave that with you. Paul says it's wonderful. Uh, 
He says he's rejoicing because of what he sees in them. Verse 6. We see here, he says, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, he says, so walk in him. Now, anytime Paul makes that kind of statement, he's going to define or flesh out what he's saying. This is like a, a heading. So walk in him. Okay, Paul, how do I walk in Christ? And he gives some very clear uh, descriptions of what it means to walk in Christ. He gives four uh, to be specific. He begins with the word rooted. The first thing you need to do if you're going to walk in Christ is to be rooted. I uh, read this morning from Psalm 1 verse 3 intentionally because it fits in here where we uh, read in verse 3, he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season whose leaf also shall not wither. Paul's talking about a healthy root system that feeds well when it's in the right soil. Last week I mentioned that the wrong soil can cause changes in a plant, but if you're in the right soil, uh, your, your plant's going to feed well, and the roots need that. They're going to spread out, and they're going to be deep, and they're going to be wide because they're in the right soil. Which, in this case, these roots sustain the tree, uh, against the elements. This last week, we saw how many trees come down in our county. Unbelievable amount of trees fell down. Uh, I, I intentionally, because of this message, was looking at the trees that had fallen, taking note of many of them, which may have had a vast root system, but it was a shallow root system in many cases. Not every tree was like that. Uh, if, the, if the wind at its major source caught a tree, it could take it down. But most of the trees that had come down probably were in bad shape to begin with. Out at Skyview, a lot of good church uh, trees came down, a lot of nice trees, uh, and, and uh, that's very unfortunate and uh, did a lot of damage. Uh, but it's really uh, something to see and measure as you just understand what Paul is saying about our own lives. You see, because if there's something that's not quite good enough about that root system, it's going to have a major impact in our own lives. Figuratively, our, our, the root of our lives uh, should be in the Word of God, right? Uh, but obviously, uh, in the environment of the body of Christ is really what Paul is concerned about here, that roots would be planted deep, uh, not only in the Word of God, but in the body of Christ itself. And, and usually the second part of that explanation is one of our greatest failures. Uh, or it can be vice versa. Uh, the problem that we have is that uh, to uh, have a healthy root system as a Christian, it means that we have to uh, work towards that. Uh, there's something has to be done. Uh, so that's, it takes effort to do that. Uh, if we have a, and if I want to emphasize again the fact that if you're in the right environment as a family, uh, if you're plugging your family in the right environment, that's crucial to the success of your family. I'm going to tell you that uh, just sometimes just going to church on Sunday morning is wonderful and great, and I'm glad you're here. But that's oftentimes not enough in the world we live in, in the circumstances of life today. We need to be drawn close together. That's why it's so important that we understand this. Uh, so, uh, you know, in Hebrews 10, 25, you all know that verse. It's probably memorized and it's probably very convicting, but not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. That's talking to the local church. 
It's saying, local church people, you need to be together. And whenever the church is together, you should try and endeavor to be there for the sake of the health of your family. I've heard it said, uh, I've heard it from Pastor David, I think. I've heard it from others. I've heard it from my, you've heard it from me, that uh, when I was a young dad going to college at the same time, raising my kids and working full-time, uh, weary and tired, and uh, that midweek Wednesday would come around, and our church where I was was, that's where you had to be. And uh, if I was staying home because I was studying for an exam the next morning, Mandy would just come walking up with big, giant crocodile tears. Daddy, why can't we go to church tonight? And I'm like, uh, because I need an A tomorrow. <laughs> uh, and then my, my mind is thinking, maybe a C is okay if she gets to go to church. What's wrong with me? Uh, and you learn that way, but you realize that if you're, when your kids are at a certain age, when they're tender and young, that's when their roots want to be planted in the right things. And uh, so, you know, when your child says, why can't we go to church? And we're saying, I have other things to do. You understand how horribly rotten that is in terms of how I'm leading my family. So obviously you go. But you don't go because it's an arm twist. You go because it's, it's good and healthy and right when the church is meeting together. He says you should have a rootedness about your life. Then he says to be built up in him is the next thing he says in our text. To be built up in him is the second uh, thing of how we walk in Christ. Uh, we just said the roots provide anchor and strength, but uh, a healthy tree is always going to be reaching toward the light. Uh, any plant is looking for light. That's what a plant does. And uh, that light will strengthen and uh, lengthen and uh, expand that plant in m many different ways. Plant cells, as you know, store up light and uh, they tr it transfers itself into energy or photosynthesis, uh, which gives life nutrients to the plant which, and the root system. But in the same way, us as followers of Christ, we operate in the very same way. We store up in our minds and in our hearts God's word, which is really God's light. And it requires, again, work, discipline, and so on. But the dividends of doing that are absolutely worth it because, first of all, it will make us resolute. One of the first things that I need in my life is to have a strength before I even need the strength. I need to be strong in what I say I believe and, and firm. And the idea of being resolute is so important for us because the next thing that happens is I'm going to be attacked and I need to have a resistant uh, uh, ability to stand against the foes that come. Uh, so I need to be resistant. Then I need to be resilient because in the days after the attack, I need to stay uh, strong and continue in that path. And so being built up in him is about all of that together. And so may we do that. Paul goes on and says to this young church, you need to be established. You need to be established in the faith. If you would, if you join me over in 1 Timothy, I want to highlight something, or 2 Timothy, I want to highlight some things Paul has said about being established. Because Paul's the author of all these epistles, sometimes he fleshes out more in other places to help us understand exactly what he's saying. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, 
Paul's challenging Timothy, who is also young in the faith, and he's saying to Timothy, hold fast the pattern of sound words. Timothy, you got to hold fast. Hang on tight is what he's saying. Uh, in faith and, and love, which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. You see, Christianity uh, and faithfulness to the task of Christianity takes work. Now, the Lord Jesus saved us by his grace. We're saved uh, through faith, not by works so that no one can boast. But we maintain our salvation by holding on to certain things that we've learned, by aggressively doing that, by uh, making sure that we keep certain things in our lives and in our hearts and in our minds and not let them be stolen from us, which is what Paul's worried about in the Colossian church. Uh, let me uh, take you on to another, uh, in chapter 2 uh, of, of 2 Timothy, Paul goes on in uh, verse 1, and he says this to us, You therefore, my son, be strong, that's that word established, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, so obviously God's grace and we should have a strength that we hold on to in that sense. Uh, in, uh, if you read on, it'll say in uh, chapter 3, look at verse 10. Uh, he says to Timothy again, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, uh, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my love, my perseverance. He goes on and says even persecutions and afflictions. But you've, you've carefully followed these things. In verse uh, 15, he says, or 14, he says, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. Uh, th this is Paul saying, it, it just doesn't happen by you sitting in a chair and soaking in what you hear. This is work. Christianity is, it makes an effort to read and study and memorize and, and maintain that. And what you've learned, don't lose that while you're also growing in other areas of your life. We must continue in the things which, which we have learned, but we must also press on, he says later on in Philippians. And so all of this is so critically important for us. Why is it so important? Well, in Colossians, back at verse 8. I'm just going to touch for a second on this. Uh, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. Uh, he's so worried about that. So the last thing he's going to say before we actually get into verse 8 is that we need to be abounding in thanksgiving. We need to be extremely thankful for the gift of salvation and we need to be extremely thankful for the gift of God's grace. I can't say enough about that to us this morning. Uh, and Paul knows that the enemy is going to do his best to steal away God's goodness, God's grace, God's love, God's word. There's going to be attacks in all these areas. There are all those things are being attacked today. Christian, please hear me. We are, uh, we are facing days of enormous attacks there's always been attacks, but not like the culture is seeing today. So Paul says, uh, lest anyone cheat you. Someone's going to try to cheat or steal from you what you have in your heart, what Alpine has uh, in, its, in its mechanics of what it is. Uh, as a church, that's a church of people. I was thinking today that 
Just think about this. We're 2,000 years after Christ, and we're still doing the very same thing that the first generation church did. The only thing that's different is we have instruments that they didn't have. We didn't have electricity, or they, they don't have electricity. They couldn't plug in. But they had, a, they had some kind of instrumentation oftentimes. Maybe it was just a, a stringed instrument or a tambourine or something, but they had something, but sometimes not even that. But the point is that we are doing uh, what was being done in the first century to worship and love the Lord Jesus Christ, and Satan hates that. And he's been attacking the church ever since, and he's been attacking people who go to church. And some of you today, if you're not already under attack, are going to be. It's just going to happen. And so as Paul writes this to the church, he says that some are going to cheat you through philosophy, he says in verse 8, and empty deceit. Uh, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Now, uh, Paul had heard that Epaphras and maybe Philemon, probably, we don't have that here, but we, Philemon was much in contact with Paul, uh, about the heresy that had uh, started to happen here and being taught and was threatening the well-being of this church. Uh, so Paul does not address the, uh, the specific tenets of, the, of, of this heresy, but Paul calls it a philosophy, and then he goes on to call it a, a hollow philosophy. He says empty deceit. Uh, the word philosophy is not a bad word. I mean, philosophy is really this, the study of things. It's the study of, uh, uh, of how we th- do things, how we think about things, and so on. It can be over many different subjects. And so really, church can be a philosophy in the sense of what we do, how we do it, and what that means to us. But when you attach what Paul's saying, this is a philosophy that's hollow, it's empty, it's also filled with deceit, then it becomes the enemy of our thinking. Uh, Moulton, who's another uh, uh, commentator, made the statement that what they were into was a dabbling in the occult. And so this, this crowd was getting... Uh, introduced to all kinds of things that were not the original gospel that they heard. Uh, Paul uses this phrase, the tradition of men and the basic principles of the world. Human tradition, uh, we understand, likely means various pagan theories and uh, beliefs and so on. Uh, Divine revelation, uh, again, is, is what the Lord has given us. And this is not divine revelation, though it was being touted as such. The other uh, phrase is uh, the basic principles of the world, Paul says. Now, Paul's referring to what John wrote about in John, in the Gospel of John, in, uh, sorry, in the letter of John, where John talked about uh, that the, world, the world's way of thinking is lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, uh, so that uh, lustful thoughts, lustful things that we can see, all those things are infiltrated into this way of thinking, Uh, The pride of life, which includes the pride of religion and all that's involved in that is all a part of this. If you uh, if you came from a uh, if you have come in your past from a strictly uh, I I would call it a far right church. When I say that, I'm talking about KJV only and a list of rules that you're not a good Christian unless you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. And if you have come from that background, 
you have come from, please forgive me, but you have come from a cult-like faith. Because Paul never has done that. Paul has given us things to avoid, things we should not do. Uh, but he has also said that uh, foods that you eat, uh, there's nothing wrong with anything if it's blessed under, under, the, uh, under his uh, sanctification through prayer. Uh, so we, uh, we uh, can eat certain things. He talks about even things that you drink. Uh, and we all know that there are certain stipulations and certain things you don't do for the simply for the fact I want to honor God, but I also want to lead my family well. So there's certain things you don't do. That's why I, I don't I choose not to drink. It's not because I'm a pastor, but that'd be a good reason. But I, before I was ever a pastor, I chose not to do that because it's not good leadership in my family. Number one, it's not honoring Christ. Number two. But it's not a legalistic law that you can't take a glass of wine. Please forgive me. Some of you are Baptists, but you can have a glass of wine if you need to. Some of you cook with beer and don't think a thing about it. I'm kidding. I know. <clears throat> Somebody gave us a bottle of beer, a, a, a wonderful saint, to make a beer bread. We don't have a bread maker, and the beer is still in my, out in my garage. It's, it's building up foam. The bottle will probably explode one of these days. <laughs> anyway, when we moved from Canada to the States, uh, a little guy who I led to the Lord was an Italian guy, and David Delito. And David, uh, David's family had a, a winery. And so uh, he uh, brought us this wonderful bottle of wine as a going away present when we were leaving the church and moving to the States. Well, we hid that bottle in the, in the pantry somewhere. <laughs> and uh, I had a bunch of wonderful saints come and help us move, including Fred and Pam Hartzler and a few other folks came to help us move out of this house. And I forget who found uh, the bottle in the uh, pantry, hidden by, sort of ducked in behind the wall between the, between the studs somewhere in there and uh, brought it out and said, now we know what you guys have been doing. And, it's like, uh, no, I, 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 honestly, we haven't touched that, but it was a gift. And uh, so, yeah, we probably should have tossed it down. Well, we didn't do that anyway. Okay, I, I just touched on something that made somebody mad. It's okay. I'm so sorry. We'll just leave that in the dust. But Paul's thinking about things that are worldly, and he talks about uh, the uh, basic principles of this world. I want to say this, this world is no friend to anyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus. It does not complement our lives. It does not uh, want in any way to help us promote who we are in Christ. It wants to block us in many different ways. Uh, the best thing that this world, the kindest thing this world does with us as Christians, at least here in the States, is it puts up with us. But that is changing. Today, there are so many who are now vocalizing their uh, disagreement, their anger, even their hatred toward Christianity because Christianity is not the world's friend. It's the world's enemy, according to most that I hear that are very upset with what we say we believe. Because we believe in a narrow way, we believe in Jesus Christ, the only way to heaven, right? And that's offensive to the world that we live in today, so much so. 
I was asking myself this. I'll just uh, rhetorically ask all of us. Why are there spiritual counterfeiters? Why are there scammers? Why are there false apostles? Why are there deceivers? Why are there predators? Why are there others who are absolutely committed to false religions and hopeless systems of belief? Why are there people who are adamantly against Christ and Christianity, who will do almost anything to crush our faith? Why? Because all of these are under the power and sway of Satan. Three quick definitions. Ephesians 2, 2. He's the prince of the power of the air. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. He's the God of this age. John 12, 31. He's the ruler of this world. I don't know if we, uh, if you agree with this, but I believe this statement that he is, uh, he is over governments. Uh, he's over political agendas. He's over news outlets. He's over most of our media. And he controls all of these things by powers that are beyond mere men. Men think that they're in charge of all these things. They're not. And I hope we're not so naive to realize that the world around us offers no friendship to anyone who follows the Lord as a result of this. So if we come to verse 9 and 10, where Paul says, For in him, that is in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And he says, And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. I, I want to say that this may not seem like it's happening today, that God's actually in charge. When we think about all the things I just mentioned, that Satan seems to be uh, having his heyday uh, in charge of, he's only allowed that freedom under the sovereignty of God, and the Lord is coming soon to change and adjust all of that. It's called a day of accountability. It's called the day of the Lord, and that's coming very, very soon. So Paul wants this, these believers to know that, okay, you have authorities, you have people speaking profound, deep things and so on, and you're, you're concerned and some of you are giving in, you're listening. You're, so he's, he's trying to just sort of prevent all of that. <clears throat> so being in Christ in this phrase, being in Christ, is all that's needed for us to be complete. In God. I was reading the, uh, the Worldwide Church of God. Maybe you've heard of it. The Worldwide Church of God. Years ago, used to be identified as a cult. But in the last 20 plus years, since I've been here at least, uh, it has done its best to be an accepted evangelical ministry. It's gone to great lengths to try to prove that they are evangelical in their doctrines and so on. However, recently there's been a new resurgence of the old. It's called RCG. It stands for the Renewed Church of God, which has reverted to the teachings of Herbert W. Armstrong. And this is a most subtle and evil cult. And here's uh, what they're starting by saying. First of all, Jesus is not God. That's, that's the primary thing that all cults say. But he's merely, according to them, a messenger from God. 
And here's a statement that they've written. I wanted to pull this out so you'd hear how subtle and dangerous this kind of thinking is. I'm quoting, the vast majority have been taught that the, gospels, that the gospel is merely about the person of Jesus Christ. Certainly, Christ's role is an extremely important subject, but he is not the gospel. The Bible shows that Christ is preached in conjunction with the gospel. Again, his role is vital to Christianity and must be understood, but he is not the gospel. Some proclaim a gospel of salvation. Some proclaim a gospel of grace. And there are other gospels of this and that. These are all man-made ideas that ignore the truth of the Bible. Now, when people quote the Bible and quote from the Bible and talk about the Bible, they, first of all, usually to the unsaved world, sound like they know what they're talking about. But Paul made it clear, if you'll look with me back in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul made it very clear uh, without any doubt when he wrote what he wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 4. So again, I remind us as a church that we need to know what we believe and stand strong in this day. Here's what Paul wrote. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. He's talking about somebody who doesn't really believe, but they kind of go along with it for a while. Maybe they've convinced themselves something's true, but they really haven't given their lives to this in a, in a full way. But he goes on and says, verse 3, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and that he was seen by Cephas and then by the 12 by by the 12 after that he goes on he was seen by 500 and so on and uh, what Paul wants them to know is that the gospel is made up of really one thing and that's Christ his death his burial and his resurrection it's all about him let me take you to something else Romans 10 Romans 10, which we use all the time. It's a practical statement that Paul is using to explain to, especially to Jewish, uh, uh, those Jews who are listening, who are uh, on the fringe, who are listening, but he writes to Christians, but he wants the Jews to understand this because he talks in verse five about, for Moses uh, writes about the righteousness, which is of the law, uh, the man who does those things shall live by, shall live by them. But the righteous of faith, verse 6, uh, speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from heaven. Or who will descend into the, uh, into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? That the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. He's just saying we're, we're coming out of the law and we're talking about something else. And then he tells them what it is, verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, this is the gospel. It's about Jesus. Listen on. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him and will not be put to shame 
Then he says there's no, difference, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the gospel. There's nothing else. But the Colossian believers were hearing that this is not enough. And they were hearing that Jesus is certainly not the major central issue of the gospel. He's just a messenger of it. And they're twisting the truth. Are you ready in your own life to hear such things and process in the moment? That is not true. Because I know the word of God. I know what the word of God says. That's why Paul was so concerned about this young church and why I think even for us that there's a concern that we understand these things in the day that we live in. Jesus Christ is the gospel. He is the story of the gospel. He is the the central figure in the gospel. And he is the only reason the gospel has any impact in our life. It's because of him. He and only he then, going back to our text, is head of all, of all other principalities and powers. If he's head, and he's been talking about the fact that there are others that they're trying to say something else is more important than Jesus. But he says in verse 10, and you are complete in him. You need nothing else, he's saying, who is the head of all principality and power. So anything else you're hearing, anything else that attacks your beliefs or the word of God uh, or certainly the gospel, uh, we need to have our antennas up. And so he's telling these folks, you, again, must understand you need to walk in Christ and you need to walk in Christ alone. So be rooted, be built up in him, be established in the faith, and certainly be thankful for his grace and his mercy that has given you insight to know his truth. Are you thankful for the word of God? Are you thankful for the gospel? Are you thankful for Jesus Christ? It's all about him. This church has a future only if Christ is still in the center. And if he's not, this church will not last. If it does last, it will be the wrong kind of church and no one will want to come here if they want the truth. Christ must remain central here. But listen, that's true. And he will be as long as your leaders stay true and those who stand with us. But I want to just encourage you today. This is not a soft, intended to be a soft message, a warm and fuzzy Uh, isn't it great that we know Jesus and he loves us and we love him and we're all happy and huggy huggy and that's the end of the story. Jesus is calling us through the Apostle Paul's writing to almost a sense of militancy. He's calling us to say, do you believe or not? And if you believe, then there's a certain sense in which you would then join with fellow believers in a heart and mind that is in good order that is established in the faith, that you are going to do certain things and be certain things and not let anything interrupt that in your life. In this day, that's the divide and conquer. Satan wants to divide this congregation. He wants to pull some of you away from the core of believers here, have you on your own, and then somehow confront you with things that you're not really ready to deal with. Husbands and wives, you need to be on the same page spiritually. I'm calling you to understand that Jesus Christ is either Lord or not, and you need to make that decision and make it real. This church either needs to be the church you choose to involve yourself in and plant your family in, 
good soil or not. And I'm telling you, in the day we live in, if your kids are not planted in good soil, they are in trouble. And so this is serious business. And uh, as we press on in the days ahead, I'm asking you to be that much more vigilant in what you do. Be here when you can be here. If you're watching TV on Wednesday nights and that's what you're doing, you're wrong. And that's in sin. Now, if you have a reason to be home, that's different. And I, I'm not being legalistic. I'm just saying I'm being realistic. Either be with the saints or not. But folks, we are here and we are serving Christ and I'm calling you to do that. If you're a leader in this church and you're watching TV at home, watching some sitcom or some other goofy thing or National Geographic, I really don't care what it is. If that's what you're doing, you're in the wrong place and you're in sin. I've not said this that strongly in a long time. But we need to stand together in this day that we're living in. And this church is already jeopardized by false ideas that are infiltrated, impacting and infiltrating our lives, especially our kids. Let's be on guard and find the blessing in being together. And if the world gives us an order that we have to lock our doors, I may be here to defy it. Uh, to uh, know that's not right. Some of you may join with me. But this church cannot allow itself to be dis, disconnected by any threat like that. You don't have to be here, but you're still Alpine Bible Church. And so if the world ever gets that aggressive with us, I pray to God that we'll all still be the church that stands together as Paul's calling out in this text. Love you. It's a good day. God has given us opportunity to do many things together. We got VBS coming up in another week. That's goofy and silly and fun. Uh, On the July the 3rd, we're going to throw water at each other and uh, eat watermelon and spit seeds at each other and say, I love you in Jesus. You know, we're going to have fun. But with all that said and done, we're walking a serious walk. Let's stay up.